The Productive Woman, Episode 79. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast dedicated to productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Thank you for joining me. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about staying productive by paying attention. You'll find links and additional information in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 79. This episode is brought to you by Nosby, a productivity tool that's designed to help you simply get things done. And uh, if you've listened to The Productive Woman for very long, you know that I'm one of the more than 300,000 people worldwide who use Nosby to get things done. I've used it and recommended it for at least the past year or so. So it was a no-brainer for me when I was asked whether I'd like to have Nosby as a sponsor of the podcast. I was especially excited about a special offer that they're making. The Productive Woman listeners can get a free 30-day trial of Nosby's Pro Edition by visiting nosby.com woman and a discount if you decide to continue with the pro version after the trial expires. And I'll share a little bit more about that in just a moment. So what do I like about Nosby? I like that it's everywhere I need to be, and it's flexible enough to let me work the way that I need and want to work. For one thing, I work in various locations. I have an office, but I also travel on business. I work from home sometimes. I, you know, I'm just in various places. And so it's very, very important to me that um, the tools I use accommodate that. And Nosby definitely does. I can use it on any device. I can use it on my Mac. I can use it on the Windows-based PC that the firm provides to me, on my iOS devices, even my Apple Watch. And for those who are not so deeply into the, you know, into the Mac, the Apple ecosystem, it's also available on Android and Linux. So anywhere you want to work, any tools, devices you want to work with, they've got the app for it. So when I'm out of the office and I get a phone call from a client, I can very quickly tap or dictate even a new task into Nosby on my iPhone for attention when I'm back at the office. I also like the fact that if I say I get an email with something I need to do, I don't have to recreate that as a task in Nosby. I can simply forward that email to the special email address that, that Nosby provides for each user. Each of, each of us gets our own unique email address, and that just pops it right into my Nosby inbox for processing and attention at the appropriate time. So that sort of ubiquity, that, um, that fact that it's available on every device and everywhere I need to be is really important to me. As I've said before, though, I love how also it's flexible in the ways that it lets me view my tasks and how it integrates with other services that I rely on. It integrates with Evernote, with Dropbox, with Box, and Google Drive. So you can attach Evernote notes or files from your favorite file storage place right to the task that you create in Nosby. And that way you have all the information you need right there at your fingertips uh, when you're ready to do the task. 
they have provided a really great set of very of short video tutorials that are available on the Nosby website or right in the app that show you the many ways you can put Nosby to work to help you simply get things done. So to set up your 30-day free trial of Nosby Pro, go to nosby.com slash woman. And Nosby is N-O-Z-B-E. So nosby.com dash woman, uh, slash woman. And remember, I, as I've said before, that the Pro version gives you two accounts for that price. So you can use it with your spouse, with your assistant, however you want to. Uh, try it out for the 30 days for free. And if you decide you like it and want to continue with the pro version after the 30 day free trial, and I'll, I, I bet you will use the, the coupon code woman to save 10% on your subscription price. I think you're going to love it. Let me know what you think. And thank you so much to Nosby for supporting the productive woman. And now I'd like to get right into the topic. Um, this came up, as many of the topics do, because of just some things that have been on my mind over the last few months. And one of them is that I've noticed really in the, the past couple of years that with all the things I have going on and all the things I want to accomplish, sometimes, frankly, I have a hard time staying focused on a task that I'm working on. You know, I'll find myself getting up to to go find something to eat or stopping to send a text or check my texts or check Facebook. And it, you know, it, it can impair my ability to get things done as, as efficiently as I want to be able to do them. And so it's something I've been thinking about. And coincidentally, at the same time that I've been thinking about this, I was reading uh, a handful of productivity-related books that all had some things to say about our apparent inability to pay attention and how that affects our lives, our our careers, and in our modern culture. And so I wanted to talk about this a little bit and share some of the things that I've learned in my own um, journey to to be more productive and, and more effective in the things that I do. There are several books that, that I'm going to refer to, and I'll have links to all of these in the show notes, but I want to give special credit to a book by Carson Tate called Work Simply, Embracing the Power of Your Personal Productivity Style. Uh, that book in particular kind of inspired me to talk about this topic on the show and provided a lot of the ideas that I discuss uh, in the episode. So the problem we're talking about here is the inability to focus attention and to stay on tasks, uh, continue to uh, to pay attention to get certain things done. And I'm, I'm not talking in this episode about people with ADD or ADHD. That's kind of beyond the scope. I'm just talking about the those of us who, without those sorts of issues to deal with, which is a whole different topic, um, just simply find ourselves having a hard time paying attention. And I know I'm not the only one. I've talked with other people who, who struggle with this from time to time. And the more reading I did, the more I realized this is kind of an epidemic. And there are a lot of reasons why we may have a hard time staying focused on a task or a project that we're working on. Um, one of them is constant interruptions. And one, a couple different places where I was reading about this cited a study from the productivity research firm Basics back, clear back in 2005. And according to that study, 
uh, interruptions, distractions, and recovery time consume as much as 28% of the average knowledge worker's day. And, you know, a lot of us are knowledge workers, whether we're, you know, lawyers or writers or teachers, where, you know, our job is focused around knowledge. And so a lot of the studies have been done on this. And according to one article, the economic toll of this lost time, of this 28% of our time that's uh, consumed with interruptions and distractions is $650 billion in lost productivity. So it's a real, a real issue. There, there was um, that Work Simply book that I mentioned cites a study by Gloria Mark, who's a professor from the University of California at Irvine, who studies digital distraction. And she's found that between digital and human factors, uh, often <laughs> there's typically, on the average, only three minutes of consistent focus time before an employee either gets interrupted by somebody else or interrupts herself. Something to think about. And, and Carson Tate in the book goes on to say, she says, and I'm quoting here, we've come to accept workdays filled with distractions and interruptions as normal. Many of us complete our work in the margins of our days, early in the morning and late at night, due to the pressing demands on our time and attention. And, you know, I've, I've certainly found myself in that situation, going in very early or staying late at the office to get things done because during working hours, uh, there's so, there are so few opportunities to um, have a big chunk of time that's uninterrupted. So to get that, we, we have to sort of go outside the office hours to get it done. So, you know, some real th- things to think about with these constant interruptions in our work day and um, that's true whether we're in an office or some other environment. Another part of the problem is, um, I, you know, short attention spans and, and frankly, a lack of respect for other people. I have attended meetings, I, we all have, meetings or presentations where everybody's on their phone the whole time, checking email, texting, I, I, you know, doing whatever. And there's a, that's certainly because we're easily distracted and we're looking for something different or maybe the presentation's boring, but nevertheless, there's a a lack of respect, frankly, for the presenter there. And it's something I'm trying to really pay attention to and be um, more respectful and put the devices away and, and pay attention. Otherwise, there's no reason to be there because you're not really getting anything from a speaker if your attention is on your phone. I um I saw a quote the other day that I thought was um actually saw it on Twitter from Eckhart Tolle saying give your fullest attention to whatever the moment presents. And um the problem is we don't seem to know how to do that. And I'm you know I'm raising my hand. I'm I'm one of among the worst as my family will tell you. I'm notorious for constantly checking my phone and we we kind of tell ourselves that it's, well, you know, I got to stay connected to the office. I got to know what's going on. But there are other reasons that come out in the research that I I find really interesting. And I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later on. I saw uh, an article from The Atlantic from uh, uh, clear back in June 2013. 
It featured an interview with Linda Stone, who's a tech executive who worked on emerging technologies at Apple and at Microsoft Research in the late 80s and 90s. And she coined the term continuous partial attention to describe what what the article calls the modern predicament of being constantly attuned to everything without fully concentrating on anything. And I think that's the that really is the epidemic where there's so much coming at us that we are um we're we're sort of picking up signals from all over the place but never really concentrating on anything and we're going to talk about why that matters. In his new book, uh, Deep Work, author Cal Newport cites a 2012 McKinsey study that found that the average knowledge worker now spends, and I'm quoting, more than 60% of the work week engaged in electronic communication and internet searching, with close to 30% of a worker's time dedicated to reading and answering email alone. And, the, you know, those are pretty high percentages. And, and Newport argues that the, uh, the rise of what he calls network tools, uh, things like email and text, SMS for texting, social media and other things, and the almost constant access to them through networked computers and smartphones, he says it has fragmented most knowledge workers' attention into slivers. So it's a real, I keep saying the word epidemic, it's it's a real issue, and I know I've experienced it, and again, that's why I thought it was worth talking about. The fact is that attention is a finite resource. We only can focus on a limited number of things at any given time, and uh, I thought it was real interesting, some of the science behind this, and I'm not going to get real deep into it because I know that's not why you listen to this podcast, but both in uh, her book, Work Simply, and in several other articles and books that I've read recently, there's this, um, the science basically divides our, our brains, human brains, into two different kinds of attention, what uh, Tate Uh, Carson Tate calls involuntary and voluntary, and there are other names for it. And basically, involuntary attention is sort of um, almost the instinctive part of us, but it's the part of our brain that is always on watch for threats to our survival. And it's triggered by outside things, things that grab at us. And, um, And it's the part that kept us alive early on in our evolution and don't let's not get into a religious debate i'm talking about the development or whatever your position on uh, the religious aspects of evolution versus creation it is a scientific fact that our brains and our bodies have evolved and changed over time in response to the changes in our environment and that's what i'm talking about here that um, there's that part of our brain that in early days was um, it, it, there to keep us safe. And so now, though, um, we're, we're no longer, for the most part, we're not facing the threat of predators. We don't have to be vigilant 
watching for a wild animal or something, um, Carson says, Carson Tate says, our, our brains have not evolved to distinguish between the ping of a new text message and a roar of a wild animal. And so our involuntary attention is constantly being grabbed by these outside stimuli, the pings, the, the buzzes, the rings, the, the things flashing on the screen. And as, um, at the same time, there is a neurochemical that is involved in all of this dopamine, um, that, um, unconscious, unconsciously causes us to seek out new things, new ideas, um, again, it's all part of how our brain has developed. And so dopamine actually is, uh, almost creates this addiction to things like email and Twitter and those sorts of things. Um, neuropsychologist, uh, Dr. Rick Hansen said in one article that in order to survive, our ancestors evolved to be stimulation hungry and easily distracted, continually scanning their interior and their environment for opportunities and threats, carrots and sticks. And that's, um, part of the, um, the part of our brain that's focused on this sort of, that's our involuntary attention. Daniel Levitin in his book called The Organized Mind, which is the subtitle of that is thinking straight in the age of information overload. And I've been listening to that as an audible audiobook and just finding it fascinating. He says, and I'm quoting here, attention is the most essential mental resource for any organism. It just d- determines which aspects of the environment we deal with. And most of the time, various automatic subconscious processes make the correct choice about what gets passed through to our conscious awareness. For this to happen, millions of neurons are constantly monitoring the environment to select the most important things for us to focus on. These neurons are collectively the attentional filter, and they work largely in the background outside of our conscious awareness. So that's the involuntary attention that the, the neurons in our brain, the neuron network within our brain that is keeping track of things kind of below the level of consciousness. The other piece, the other kind of attention that we have is voluntary attention, which is the ability to concentrate on a task that we've chosen. And, uh, in work simply Carson Tate says, this is voluntary. It's called voluntary because we have control over it, whether or not we actually recognize and and exercise that control. We do have the ability to control it. And so we'll talk a little bit as this episode goes on about the differences between the involuntary and the voluntary. Um, so the fact that, um, we have uh, attention is this finite resource and it's divided into a t- uh, voluntary and involuntary. And we're at the same time dealing with various um, forces that are sabotaging our efforts to focus. And they may be environmental, they may be psychological. So intense emotion can interfere with our ability to focus. And one scientist that Carson Tate quotes in work, uh, work simply. Um, uh, the part of the brain devoted to attention is connected to the brain's emotional center. So any strong emotion can disrupt our attention. And she, she says, and I thought this was interesting, even working on a challenging project creates anxiety or stress, 
which is in itself, these are strong emotions, which can then make you tend to self-interrupt as a way of escaping that intense emotion. Uh, so it, intense emotion can sabotage our focus and our attention ability. Physical discomfort, the, there's a, a research psychologist that's quoted in a couple of different places that, that notes that we're much more susceptible to distractions when we're uncomfortable or we're tired or we're hungry. So any kind of physical discomfort. And finally, um, one author talks about psychological insecurity. And that's what um, Carson Tate calls it. Um, but the, this author... Um, uh, Tony Schwartz that she quotes notes that our responsiveness to distractions is powerfully influenced by our desire for connection. We uh, have this innate need, desire, drive to be connected with other people. And if we feel insecure, if we feel less connected, uh, it interferes with our ability to focus and, and concentrate. So those forces are interfering with our abilities to, to concentrate and focus. And finally, there's just the, the constant barrage of information. And in, in the organized mind, um, Daniel Levitin, who I mentioned earlier, said something that I just thought was really profound and really important. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote this just because I thought it was so valuable. He says, our brains do have the ability to process the information we take in, but at a cost. We can have trouble separating the trivial from the important, and all this information processing makes us tired. Neurons are living cells with a metabolism. They need oxygen and glucose to survive. And when they've been working hard, we experience fatigue. Every status update you read on Facebook, every tweet or text message you get from a friend is competing for resources in your brain with important things like whether to put your savings in stocks or bonds, where you left your passport, or how best to reconcile with a close friend you just had an argument with. And so that's from The Organized Mind by da Daniel Levitin, a really good book. And again, I'm going to have links to all these articles and books in the show notes if you want to check those out. So all this information coming at us is, our, our minds are amazing in their ability to process it all, but it takes its toll. And, it, and our mind, as he says, doesn't distinguish between what's trivial and what's vital. And so that's something we have to work on doing. So why does it matter? Why does it matter that we, if we are struggling to, to pay attention? Um, there are a number of reasons. One of them is that the lack of ability to concentrate, focus, and pay attention limits our ability to advance our skills and to create something new and valuable. Cal Newport, in his book, um, deep work, which I'm, I'm just reading and it's because somebody else had recommended it to me and it's just really, really good. He argues that the greatest advances and contributions to society come from what he calls deep work. And he defines that as professional activities performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that push your cognitive abilities to their limit. These efforts create new value, improve your skill and are hard to replicate. So, so without the ability to do those things, we can't 
make those advances and do, you know, accomplish those great things and really develop our skills. Deep work, Newport says, requires long periods of uninterrupted thinking. And um, that's hard to come by. He cites a number of resources and, and, and articles and things for the idea that if, if you're, um, that network tools, remember those things we talked about, whether it's email and text messaging and all those things, um, those things are distracting us from work that re- requires unbroken concentration while simultaneously degrading our capacity to remain focused. And he makes some, you know, cites some really compelling um, evidence for the fact that it really we are really getting less adept at paying attention and staying focused because of all these constant interruptions. Um, in in uh, the the organized mind, Daniel Levitin points out, and I've talked about this before, that it, but he says multitasking is the enemy of a focused attentional system. We. Um, suffer when we try to multitask because our brains are not designed to hold, you know, beyond a certain limit of things in our mind at the same time. And he goes into the science of this. And this is another one of those things that I just really thought was important and and worth hearing in full. Uh, And so this is a quote from The Organized Mind by Daniel Levitin. He says, Multitasking has been found to increase the production of the stress hormone cortisol, as well as the fight or flight hormone adrenaline, which can overstimulate your brain and cause mental fog or scrambled thinking. You know, as a side note, sound familiar to you? Certainly it does to me. Um, He goes on to say, multitasking creates a dopamine addiction feedback loop, effectively rewarding the brain for losing focus and for constantly searching for external stimulation. To make matters worse, the prefrontal cortex has a novelty bias, meaning that its attention can can be easily hijacked by something new. Uh, he goes on then, the, the irony here for those of us who are trying to focus amid competing activities is clear. The very brain region we need to rely on for staying on task is easily distracted. We answer the phone, look up something on the internet, check our email, send an SMX, and each of these things tweaks the novelty-seeking, reward-seeking centers of our brain, causing a burst of endogenous opioids no wonder it feels so good, all to the detriment of our staying on task. It is the ultimate empty calories brain candy. Instead of reaping the big rewards that come from sustained focused effort, we instead reap empty rewards from completing a thousand little sugar-coated tasks. So we lose, when, when we um, lose our ability to focus and, and pay attention for whatever reason, whatever these, uh, sources, whether it's an internal, you know, you're in a mer- emotional turmoil that's interfering with your focus, or if it's, um, you know, external things, your text messaging and all that sort of thing, whatever the source of it, the more it happens, the more we lose. We lose our ability to stay on task, stay focused, and to do that kind of work that advances our skills and our contributions to the world. Um, so, so that's one of the big reasons why it matters um, that this is happening. It also it affects who we are as people. 
there was a book cited in a couple places that uh, argues that human beings are are the sum of what they pay attention to. Um, go, so, so what we focus on determines our experience, our knowledge, our amusement, our fulfillment, everything, whatever we focus on becomes a part of who we are and it shapes our lives. Uh, there was a Psychology Today article I read that made the point that what we pay attention to is literally what we build, we will build in our brain tissue. Our neurons wire in response to what we focus on. And uh, in another uh, a separate f- uh, Psychology Today article, Dr. Rick Hansen, who I mentioned earlier, explains that this is because of something called experience-dependent neuroplasticity. It means that whatever you hold in attention has a special power to change your brain. Um, same thing, it, it, Levity says something similar in The Organized Mind. He says, in order for something to become encoded as part of your experience, you need to have paid conscious attention to it. And I thought as I was reading some of these things, that it's very similar to something that uh, I've mentioned Brooke Castillo in past episodes. She's a a life coach. And um, she has said, she said something in a webinar that was kind of uh, profound enough to me that I posted it on Facebook so that I could find it again. Um, She said, what you think about either makes you feel better or worse, regardless of what's going on in your life. And, And to me, that's the same kind of thing. Whatever we're paying attention to becomes a part of our experience and therefore a part of who we are. And so it's very important that we have the ability to focus our attention on the things that matter to us. The third reason it matters is if we're a parent, it affects our children. In the article I mentioned earlier from The Atlantic, the writer points out that that children learn their attention skills from what's modeled by the adults around them. And the example that writer gave is, you know, we think little kids are just so fascinated with cell phones, but there are studies and observations that were done that it's not that small children are fascinated with smartphones. They're fascinated with whatever their mom and dad are fascinated with. And so they see their parents paying attention to their cell phones all the time. And they think, okay, well, this is something worth my attention. There was a Forbes article that cited a University of Massachusetts psychology professor, Daniel Anderson, uh, who said that early child rearing appears to play a pretty significant role in how our attention span develops. He said, research has suggested that the amount of chaos in a home and the tendency by parents to interrupt their children during play rather than allowing them to engage deeply can harm the development of a child's attention span or performance on cognitive tests which require sustained attention. And I'm not saying that, that we should now, you know, to give us something else to feel guilty about, that our home is too chaotic and so we're wrecking our children's minds. Please don't hear me saying that. I know that's what we we all tend to do. But I, I just think it's so important to be aware that our own ability to harness our minds and pay attention to things and is is important not only for ourselves but for the children that we're raising this um uh, dr anderson the psych- psychology professor did a study that uh, that he published that showed the the impact of um 
having a TV on in the room while a child is playing and it reduced their interest or their ability to stay focused on, you know, whatever they were playing with just because the TV was on in the room. So something to think about. Our ability to pay attention or not affects our relationships. If we can't pay attention long enough to have a conversation with the people we're with, um, how can we develop strong, supportive, and and nurturing relationships? I mean, how many times have you seen or been a part of a couple or a group at dinner or, or somewhere with everybody constantly checking their phones? You know, I, I, again, raising my hand, I'm known to do that. And it's something I'm really, um, really thinking a lot about a way to change my, uh, my approach and my way of being. And I, I'm not going to go any into this cause we're kind of running out of time, but a lot of the stuff that I've listened to, I, I, I listened to an audiobook recently called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Highly recommended. I, it was so profound and so, so wise, and there was just so much meat in it that even though I had already listened to the audiobook, I also ordered a, a paperback copy of it so I could go through and reread and highlight some things. But it talks, uh, that book and, and, um, the the organized mind and some of these other things that I'm reading talk about the impact of these constant distractions that it changes uh, changes the way our brains work and that it literally can create addictions uh, because of the the hits of dopamine we get every time we check and you know our phone and oh there's a new email there oh there's a new text there and 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 what it does to us. And so it does certainly affects our relationships. It's not easy to set that aside because of these neurochemicals. Uh, and finally, it affects our society. We find it difficult uh, as a people to focus long enough um, to think about really complex issues. We seem to uh, get led around as a society by whoever can produce the best sound bites or the the next new and interesting thing. Our attention is pulled off the things that matter by the the new and the novel. And I'm not sure the change is for the better, but I guess that's a discussion for another day. So what can we do about it? There are there are things we can do to improve our um, our attention abilities for managing both our involuntary attention and our voluntary attention. And, you know, as far as the involuntary attention, it's, it's important to understand the purpose or the objectives of that part of our brain. It's basically survival, self-preservation. So, um, one of the things you can do to improve your, your focus, your, uh, and, and, uh, reduce the number of distractions or interruptions by your involuntary attention is to create an environment in which you can feel safe and secure, happy and at peace. Uh, Dr. Han- Rick Hansen, who I mentioned earlier, he's a neuropsychologist and a New York Times bestselling author. And I do have a couple articles that he wrote there uh, in the show notes or the links are in the show notes. He, he talks about, um, creating a habit of mindfulness. And some of this relates to involuntary, some of it to voluntary, but 
but give yourself that instruction to be mindful and attentive to your circumstances and be aware of it. Learn to relax and feel safe um, because it, it uh, maybe it doesn't disable that involuntary scanning, but it um, makes it less disruptive, I think. Think about put yourself in a mindset of, of peace and, and happiness. And the article, I'm not going to quote the whole article, but because, but there are a lot of steps that he recommends things to focus your attention on, on purpose to kind of calm your mind and, and, um, do the things that, um, create that sense of pleasure that will, uh, trigger a release of dopamine even without having to check your text messages every five minutes. So check out that article, some really good things. One specific tool that I have mentioned before that I use in the office is Focus at Will, which is that service that creates um, or that plays music uh, playlists. These are scientifically designed to give that involuntary attention part of your brain something to do so it's not scanning for threats. Instead, it's sort of in the in your subconscious kind of processing that music and focusing on this, this music in a way that um, helps, I don't know, settle your brain down a little bit. Some of the things that you can do or that we can do for managing our voluntary attention. Uh, the first thing is, is becoming aware. Start by cultivating attention. Um, Carson Tate in her book recommends tracking our distractions for a period of time. Just, you know, have a piece of paper handy and make a hash mark each time you're distracted and maybe a note or an abbreviation that uh, identifies for you the cause or the source of this distraction, whether it was a person or a feeling you had or an email came in or something like that. And then evaluate the data that you get from that and, and determine, is there a time of day you're more easily distracted? Is it easier to focus after exercise or after you've had a meal? Are there particular or particular types of activities that it's easier for you to stay focused on? Just, you know, kind of look at the data you get from, from tracking when you get distracted and think about, um, what, what the sources are and so on. Once you've done that, you can, you can take steps to, create an environment that supports whatever your particular attention management needs are. If you can't concentrate when you're hungry and you notice that in the afternoons you, you get real distractible, you know, mid afternoon, maybe have, a, an energy boosting snack that you keep in your desk. If the noise in the hall distracts you, um, close the door or, you know, play focus at will. If that helps kind of mute the sound a little bit, but knowing what causes the distractions that keep you from paying attention will help you come up with a, a, a solution or a way to address them. Find ways to restore your focus when you find yourself, your mind wandering. Take a couple of deep breaths, maybe get up and take a 10 minute walk. Uh, try the Pomodoro technique, which we've talked about before, where you set a timer and you stay focused on your task for 25 minutes and then you take a five minute break and so on. Um, studies cited in the Forbes.com article that I mentioned before indicate that meditation and exercise, whether both physical and mental, can help 
um, increase your ability to, to pay attention. And another article I read suggested spending time in nature. The, the idea being that if you get away, you know, leave your electronics behind, get away from the hustle and bustle, but literally get into nature. Uh, there are fewer things demanding your attention and it literally lets your brain take a break and get rested. Cause remember, uh, the one passage I quoted earlier talks about how processing all the information coming, coming at us l- literally makes us tired. And if you've ever, you know, spent a, a, a long period of time or some p- intense period of time, say working on a paper or studying for an exam, you know, you come out of it tired. And so uh, getting out into nature can help restore your energy there. Practice being focused. One article recommended taking time to lose yourself in something you enjoy because that author says, and I'm quoting here, when you're completely wrapped up in doing something easy that you enjoy, your inner dialogue switches off. This lets your mind rest and recoup the ability to focus on difficult tasks again. You know, and this is that some of the distractions that come at us um, that dis- disturb our focus are external. Some of them are the things that come up in our mind, that running dialogue we have with ourselves. Deal with the things that interfere and distract. And there are um, three categories of things that Carson Tate talked about in her book that I thought were, you know, valuable to consider technology, emergencies, and just interruptions. And so technology, there's something called the, the productivity paradox that, which is that technology that was created to save us time and make us more productive is actually doing the opposite. And we talked about, you know, some of the statistics, um, And so everybody experiences that differently, but, you know, for a lot of us, it's email, uh, social media, texting, things like that. There are lots of ways to deal with those distractors that come from technology. For some of us, we can check and respond to email only at certain times of the day, low productivity times, maybe when your energy and ability to focus on more challenging tasks is lower anyway. So plan specific times if that's something you you can do. Leave your text somewhere else when you're needed to work on really focused tasks or turn your phone face down on your desk so you don't see it when it lights up with messages manage expectations. If you're, uh, you know, you can let people know you're going to be out of pocket during specific periods so that they're not, uh, freaking out because you don't suddenly aren't responding to your email 10 seconds after, uh, after you receive it, turn off the sounds and the alerts on your tech. Um, so it doesn't beep at you. So that unconscious or that involuntary part of your attention, uh, isn't grabbed by that ping which it interprets the same as if there was a lion roaring around the corner. Uh, And maybe designate a tech-free day once a week or once a month, whatever you can manage to give your your mind time to rest from that constant barrage. And consider trying apps like Freedom and some of those other ones that will basically lock you out of social media for a period of time that you specify when you need to focus on your other work. So those are some things we can do in dealing with the interference and distractions that come from technology. 
Another thing, a source of dis disruption for us when we're trying to focus is when emergencies occur. Maybe your server goes down or the computer eats your last three hours of work right before a deadline or the car breaks down or the power goes out or there's a car accident or a sick child. These things happen to all of us. Some of them are unavoidable, but some of them are the result of miscalculating the time or the resources you needed to do something, or they result from procrastination or poor planning or lack of, of preparation. Whatever they come from, whatever's the source of these emergencies, they, they, are, they have the same impact. Uh, an interruption that's going to cost you a lot of time and, and, and a lot of productivity and create a lot of stress in your life. So what do you do when you've got, you know, something comes up and there's something like an emergency that may um, threaten to derail your day? A couple of things is, first of all, to take a step back and define what is this emergency and and make sure whether it's really urgent. If it's threatening life or property, you got to stop what you're doing and deal with it. Um, maybe other situations can wait till later. And develop a plan for handling future emergencies. Have uh, a, a, do some analysis when these kinds of things occurred. Was this something that could have been foreseen and prepared for? You know, you can minimize the number of times that emergencies uh, interfere with your productivity by thinking ahead and investing some time in developing systems and processes that will let uh, keep those things from arising in the future. And finally, interruptions. Um, whatever their source, whatever their cause, interruptions interfere with our ability to pay attention, to focus on accomplishing the things that are most important to us, that deep work that um, Cal Newport talks about. And the strategies for dealing with interruptions really depend on your situation and your personality. Um, some of the, some options are maybe to establish office hours, either times that you will be available, so your door is open, or times that you're not going to be available, so your door is closed, and those are the times that you focus on the things that really need your your um, focused attention. Um, make appointments if if. Part of what's interfering with your ability, say at work, is um, people dropping by your office. Start to set up appointments instead, and instead of accommodating, be willing to say, "Love to talk with you about that, but I have to get this done." Can I'm looking at my calendar? Can we do this at you know 10 a.m. tomorrow or whatever? Come up with those strategies for dealing with the people that are are um, dropping in and interrupting the work that you need to get done. And, uh, you know, finally move to another work location when you really need to focus. Sometimes changing your environment can uh, help you stay focused and avoid those interruptions. Leave your phone behind and go to a conference room or a park or the library, uh, a different different place where maybe people can't find you for a while and you can get those things done. So those are just a few of the things that I thought about in, in, you know, as I've been kind of working through my own um, efforts to find that time, create the time when I can focus with real close attention on the most important work that I need to get done. I would love to hear your suggestions 
um, and the things that maybe you do to keep your focus in place and improve your ability to pay attention. Uh, I'd love to hear from you on this. There are a couple of different ways, as always, you can do that. Uh, you can uh, share your comments, your questions, your thoughts in public, you know, in public by going to the, sh- the comment section of the show notes at the productive woman.com slash 79, or you can post on the productive woman's Facebook page and we can have a conversation there. If you would like to share your thoughts with me in private, you can email your questions, comments, or suggestions to me at feedback at the productive woman.com Or you can leave a voice message either on the website or on the Facebook page. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you're enjoying the show, as always, I would invite you to uh, help me out in spreading the word and and, in expanding our our conversation here. A couple of ways you can do that. Tell a friend. If you are finding it useful, maybe you know another woman in your life or guys, you know, I've got some great emails and feedback from guys lately who enjoy the show. But either way, um, if there's somebody else in your life that you think might enjoy the show, might benefit from it or have something to contribute to the conversation, tell them about the show and show them where they can um, learn more about it. Also, Uh, you can help me out by leaving a review for the productive woman in iTunes or on Stitcher. That does a couple of things. It, it makes, you know, however it is that iTunes calculates these things, the more positive reviews a show has, uh, the more they kind of make it visible to other people and help them find it. But even more than that, it's really helpful to me to get your feedback so that I can know whether I'm on track. So there are links in the show notes for where you can subscribe or review the show, or you can just go to theproductivewoman.com slash iTunes or slash Stitcher, and it'll take you right where you need to go. Uh, remember to watch the replays of the live video events that we've done or uh, or to follow me for notices of upcoming blabs, you can visit blab.im um, slash Laura McMom, and you'll you'll see all that information there. I love these live events because it's an uh, opportunity for you to actually be there and ask your questions in the chat room, or possibly even come come on screen and and ask your question, we can have a conversation. We have uh, another one of the international blabs coming up very soon uh, that I'll be doing with Priscille Livenet of France and Julie Sharon Osher of Israel. We're going to be talking about decluttering on March 6th, 2016 at 10 a.m. Central Time. Uh, more information and a link where you can uh, subscribe to that so you get a reminder will be in the show notes for this episode. So check that out. And I think that's it. Remember to check out our sponsor and take advantage of the free 30-day trial of Nosby Pro by going to nosby.com slash woman and use the coupon code woman when you decide to continue your subscription for that 10% review. I mean, the 10% uh, discount. And that is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you for spending this time with me. I really appreciate it. I hope there was something in this that you found useful. I'd love to hear your thoughts and your advice on how I can improve my focus and concentration. So be sure and and reach out to me. I look forward to talking with you again soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself. 
and go make your life matter. The Productive Woman is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx.